It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals postgame edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring, Johnny Cashman in black. Uh, as we talk to you after the Bengals finally win a game, 33-25 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Rick, it wasn't pretty for a while, and then all of a sudden, it's about as well as this team can play overall. Yeah, well, I don't. If you're a Bengals fan, I don't know if you're expecting style points from this team. I think it's a little bit early for that, right? Just wins will take at this point with the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, no, no question about it. Um, the the first half, as I mentioned, did not look pretty. It was kind of very Bengal esque. You had an early interception that got them nothing. You had um, a, a touchdown wiped out by a holding penalty on Trey Hopkins, and you had. Uh, Drew Sample have a ball ripped a, ripped away from him by Miles Jack. Uh, it was it was a mess early on, but then they got things rolling and they got things rolling behind a guy I suggested you make the offensive identity about one Joe Mixon. Isn't that amazing? Well, yeah, you talked about it last week, and obviously Mixon has a monster game in this one. He he goes for twenty five carries, one hundred and fifty one yards, six yards per carry, a couple touchdowns. Do you think they finally found their identity handing the ball off to Joe Mixon? Or do you think this was more of a matchup situation where things just worked out well for the offensive line? Yeah, maybe a little of both. I mean, let's face it. The first 12 carries in the first half only had 30 yards. So it wasn't like he tore it up for four quarters. Um, But he also, they gave it to him 14 times on first down, Rick. And he rushed for 111 yards on those 14 first down carries. We've been talking about too much Joe Burrow passing on first down, too much getting in a hole, too many second and, and long runs. And they gotten way better down in distant situations. And yes, some of that is the offensive line has to execute, right? Some of it is you have to have a matchup that allows you to do that. But I still think you give Joe Mixon 31 touches you like you did today. And even if it's occasionally force feeding him, Better things happen for this offense, and then it allows the play-action game to work. It allows some bootlegs to work. It allows the pressure to not come as much on Joe Mixon or on Joe Burrow, rather. And yeah, some of it too was the offensive line protected Joe well. He got sacked once, and it wasn't wasn't really much of a sack. He kind of rolled out, wasted some time, and and sat down. It was credited as a sack, so it does go down as one. But they were really good otherwise. And some of it is that's you know Jacksonville. Let's face it, Jacksonville's not very good, but. I just think there's something to Joe Mixon getting a bunch of touches that's the right thing to do. Well, don't you think the first touchdown of the game showed that off as much as anything? When you throw it down to him in the red zone, defense is tight. There's not a lot of room down there. Linebackers are right up on him, and he hurdles a guy, makes a play, finds his way into the end zone. You've had trouble in the red zone. You can say, oh, sure, he made a play at the one, but you would have gotten in anyway. There's no guarantee you no, get in from there if you're this Bengals team. That's uh, an important touchdown right there. Uh, yeah, don't forget. Remember, they had second and goal at the one, then third and goal at the one, then try to play action pass to Drew Sample that got intercepted. There is no – remember the Cleveland game, first and goal at the inch line. Joe, Joe Mixon gets tackled for a four-yard loss. So you're right. There's no guarantee they get in. He makes a great individual play, and he's just that good. And I think it shouldn't be discounted. The amazing part is – I, you know, I, I'm sitting there doing a, another podcast, a high school football podcast on Saturday morning, and and I get a call from the Bengals, and, and they say, hey, we're about to release that Joe Mixon's going on the injury report. And I went, wait, what? This doesn't happen on Saturdays. What's up? Is he sick? Look down his chest. He had some kind of issue where he said he slept wrong, perhaps. Um, you know, maybe there's a little melodrama to that, but I don't think so. I mean, you don't show up on an injury report without something ha- taking place. They can't do that technically. So something was wrong with the guy. And yet through all that, then he plays his best game of the season. I mean, hats off to him, man. He was, he was so good. Yeah. I think 
your point about just giving him enough opportunities, though, it might not always work. You might only be averaging two and a half yards per carry behind this offensive line. But if you give your best players enough opportunity, especially a guy like Joe Mixon, he's going to make that special play like he did in the red zone today. And I think that's the, the perfect example of that. So there's no question they they have to make him the identity and they have to give him enough chances. You look at Joe Burrow's day today. He goes for 300 yards. He's 25 of 36. He has a touchdown and an interception, a quarterback rating of 92.3. Skinny, this is a rookie just a few games in. He throws for 300 yards, and I feel like almost – everyone expected that type of performance. It seemed like a ho-hum day for Joe Burrow almost. It, it did. That's the funny part about it. It did feel like a ho-hum day. I mean, 300 yards is still a heck of a year. I mean, he, a heck of a game. He's the first rookie quarterback in NFL history. And yes, I know we're in the passing year of NFL football. First quarterback, rookie quarterback in NFL history to throw for 300 yards in three straight games. And today's did feel ho-hum. Um, if you'd have told me just eyeball tests, I'd gone, yeah, nice 240-yard day because there was no big shots. There was no big hits. There was no 80-yard bombs. It was 15 yards here, 18 yards there, and it all added up, and he was extremely efficient. And, and again, the interception was not his fault. I mean, I'm not sure you can throw really a better ball in that circumstance. Right. Drew Sample needed to wrestle that away. You tweeted it out that, um, you know, that's one you just got to make a play on. And he didn't. And I think Drew would probably tell you, I should have had that football. And Joe, when he was asked at the end of the game, kind of sheepishly, I don't, he didn't point the finger at Drew, but I think you could tell that he knew my guy should have caught it for me. So, um, no, I mean, that, that's the efficiency of Joe Burrow. He continues to play at an extraordinarily high level, not just for a rookie quarterback, but I think for just a quarterback, period. Yeah, you mentioned the play in the end zone that got intercepted with Drew Sample. There are two plays. That one in particular, which I thought was a little bit questionable, in my opinion, that's one Drew Sample has to come down with. Now, you can question, should the Bengals be giving Joe Mixon another opportunity in the red zone? And that's certainly Maybe. possible in that situation. Yep. But at the same time, to me, that's a play call where everyone's expecting Joe Mixon. You try to do something else. It seemed to work out because Drew Sample was fairly open when you threw that ball. And Joe Burrow put it in a place where Drew Sample was able to make a play. It just didn't happen. And to me, I think if that ball is in, in a receiver's hands and a linebacker wrestles it away from him. In you got to rip it away. Zone, yeah, sorry, that's the NFL. Like, you have to go make a play. It's a man's game. So, to me, that's not on Joe Burrow whatsoever. What did you think of early on in the game? There's a key third down. It was the uh, first drive of the game, actually, after they got the interception, I believe. He, he overthrows A.J. Green maybe a little bit. A lot of people on Twitter said A.J. Green has to go get that ball. What did you think of that situation? They haven't hooked up a lot on connections early this season. That's kind of been something that's been talked about. Who did you put that one on, more Joe Burrow or more A.J. Green? I think a little of both, and I guess let's just go ahead and attack the elephant in the room, which is where do we stand with A.J. Green right now? Um, that ball was probably a hair overthrown, and I thought A.J. watching it live as I did, and you know, I don't know if the TV camera caught it. Looked like he stumbled a little bit as he tried to accelerate. But guess what he also didn't do? He didn't accelerate. He didn't explode. He didn't show the athleticism. Rick, they targeted him five times today. He caught one ball for three yards. He had very little separation. And that ball in particular, again, I can give blame each way. I that, That's kind of six, one half dozen of the other. Yeah. I think it's the microcosm of where A.J. Green is at right now. He has no explosiveness. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I wrote it. You can see it at local12.com. It was one of my three takeaways about are we watching the beginning of the end of A.J. Green? I think this year now, Ricky's been targeted 33 times. He's got 14 catches for meniscal yardage. He's, he's on pace for 56 catches for under 500 yards for the year on 132 targets. 
Last two times he got targeted 132 times were his last two full seasons in 2015 and 2017. And he went for over a thousand yards plus in each of those two years. That tells me that he's still getting some targets. Maybe they're not perfect. Maybe they're not in the flow of the offense with Andy Dalton when they were in sync and, you know, AJ was at the height of his career, but he's still getting a lot of targets. He's averaging eight targets a game through four games. He's caught 14 balls. Some of it's on Joe, some of it's on protection, some of it's on coverage. Some of it's on he just can't get open anymore, and it's it's kind of sad to watch, to be honest with you. Well, and the more you see this happen, the less of a deep threat he is if you're a defense because there's stuff, you like you said, early on you can say, oh, well, Joe Burrow's not getting enough protection. Oh, a rookie quarterback's missing an open guy or two. And, you know, there's different things, like you said. You can put it on a lot of different things. But more recently, the more you see him run these routes, the more you realize even in single coverage with a backup defensive back, He's not able to gain separation anymore. Yeah, and that's it. They were on they were on their second and third corner at times. I mean, they lost their their main corner early in the game, first quarter. He went and was gone. Um, CJ Henderson, I believe. Yep. And, and they were playing with backups at that point. And 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 honestly, I thought some of it they were force feeding him the ball a few times just to just to try to get him going. They very much were. And the and Jags just can't. The Jags weren't even respecting either. They weren't rolling over safety help. Right. They weren't doubling. No. They're saying, no, we're putting them on an island. We're bringing everybody up against the run. We're going one-on-one with A.J. Green. And A.J. Green just can't get himself open at this point. I'm willing to give him a little bit more time to say, maybe he's coming back from injury. Maybe he's still finding his footing. But, Skinny, right now you have to look at the Bengals and say, they look pretty smart for not offering up a bunch of money on a long-term contract this offseason. I, I said it all along. I wasn't sure I'd franchise tag him. I get why they did it. There's a lot of reasons. There's safe face. There's you, you think maybe okay. I you know I don't know what I've still got there. Maybe I still got the guy that I think is is a is a pro. You know a, a hall a pseudo hall of famer. I do understand it, and it's a risky thing to do at 18 mil but i do understand it but anybody that thought that aj green deserved more than that and deserved long term is insane and so i think they did do the right thing it was an expensive kick the tires i'm with you a little bit rick and i said it tonight on on the on the bengals backstage with with jed demusi or on sunday night rather with jed demusi i said i'm willing to look at these first four games and go okay that's your preseason for 2020 you didn't have much training camp you're coming back off injury you're coming back off injury the year before this is your training camp to shake some rust. It looked like in game one, he, sh- he had shaken it a little bit. I mean, that they, they go back that he made a great play on the, on the catch that was, you know, ruled offensive pass interference against the chargers. That was a great play. I mean, yeah. nobody else would, I think in my opinion, makes that catch sticking his arms over the, the, the sideline to snare that thing, a bullet. But since then it feels like, feels like there's a regression because I think now defenses are looking and going, huh? That ain't the same guy. <laughs> that, that's not the same guy at all. And, and that's the unfortunate part because they need somebody to be a game breaker and they still don't have that guy. I'll be honest. I, I'm not so sure I don't go go kick the tires one more time on John Ross. And I, I have joked with people in the press box after the game today. And I I, uh, I thought people were going to scoff at me. And I had a few that actually agreed with me. I said, at what game do we say A.J. Green is a, is a coach's decision inactive? At what, green is, what, what day is he the guy that's a healthy scratch and John plays? I mean. I, I, you got, if you're thinking about winning games, I don't care what the guy's done in the past. I don't care what he's meant to your organization. That's what good organizations do. You make tough decisions sometimes. And you're at, you're close to that stage with AJ green. Well, I don't think that's a ridiculous thought right now. Let me ask you something else about AJ green, because it's been talked about a lot that he's a great locker room guy. He, you know, he's a, he's a veteran that's, that plays like a professional, all that last season, I think, you missed out on a lot of that and you didn't necessarily need it. It was, AJ, it was Andy Dalton's last year and this yep. team was kind of in flux anyways. 
he wasn't really a big locker room guy because he was holding out essentially this year. He's not playing well, but he's got a rookie quarterback that he's playing with. Do you think he's offering anything to Joe Burrow in terms of value being a veteran presence for him or a calming presence or anything like that? Is there any value in that? Or is it mostly just, Hey, I need somebody that can get open downfield and you're not offering that right now. Yeah. I mean, Joe said all the right things after today when he was asked about them not being on the same page again. And he talked about how AJ was thrilled that they got the win and that's all AJ is about. And that, I buy some of that. I think some of that's baloney speak, as you can imagine, I would think and roll my eyes at, but I'll, I'm going to take you at your word for that. But I, I but to your question, I, I don't, I mean, if you're not producing, how can you be any kind of an influence on a guy? I mean, maybe you can come up and go, Hey, Tyler's open on this route, find him or, or um, you know, Drew's open on this route, find him. But I, I don't know if that takes place. It's not a knock. I just, I, I think that, I think it was a, the, the, the whole day was summed up when AJ towards the end of the game dove for that pass from the sidelines, came up a little gimpy, I think, and kind of just sat there. And I kept thinking, man, this looks like a guy who's at the end of his career and he's just bewildered that where did it go for me? Why, why can I not make these plays anymore? And yeah, then he comes up and he kind of comes off a little hurt and didn't go back in because they were running the ball at that point. But I, I was almost sad to look and go, his helmet gets knocked off. He looked a mess. And I thought, that's kind of it, right? I hope I'm wrong because, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm thinking it's still too early to do this. But. but- there's no At some signs point, of life. There right is now. this, right? That's yeah. it. That's just it. And I think the thing is, you give me the AJ Green. I don't need AJ Green of 2013 or 14, whatever. I need AJ Green that can at least still be a presence on offense. And he's not even close. T. Higgins is. Tyler Boyd is. Hell, to some degree, Auden Tate is. Even and Drew Sample in the open field has right, made a player too. Right. Like, right. And yeah. AJ Green just isn't that. And it's it's sad to watch. I I, I you know hopefully. The more he plays, the better this gets. But why would we think that after I, I've, I've said this before, why would anybody think that when he's 30, it's not like he went to 32 and now he's 31 and next year he's going to be 30 and the year after that he's going to be 29. Yeah, that's not how it works. No, that's not how it works. No, yeah. I mean, it's just not, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it is tough to watch at the same time. There's, he hasn't given us any reason. Like maybe if there's that one play in the next week or two where you say, okay, ah, he burnt yes. his guy. He went up over top of someone and showed that body control and athleticism that only he possesses. Then maybe you'll say, okay, maybe he's still coming back from something. But right now there's just been zero signs that AJ Green can still be AJ Green. And right now, Chopro really needs AJ Green or something. Yes. Like- yeah. No, I, I thought we saw that in that first play of the Cleveland game, right? Remember they threw that pass along the side. Oh yeah, that's right. And he made a really good play to try to catch it. Just couldn't get the second foot in. And it's as good as anybody can try to make a play like that. And I thought, wow, okay, that's, and he makes the play the week before, but man, since then it has been right off the mountaintop. It's, it's, it's not right. Yeah. We talked about Joe Mixon and obviously Joe Burrow and the big topic of conversation. The first few weeks when you try to bring those up comes back to the offensive line because the offensive line struggled so much. Those guys really couldn't do their thing that was required to win a game this week, the Bengals win and you get to talk about those guys. And it's because the offensive line was able to protect a little bit better. Alex Redmond was a part of this offensive line this week at a position we've talked a lot about. What did you think Alex Redmond brought to the Bengals offensive line? Stability. Um, if, if you, you're a big, like you like to do, if you could answer this in one word, what would it be? You're that guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was waiting for that. Um, stability. Uh, I didn't notice him. The only play I noticed him on, honestly, was on the third and one in the third quarter when the Bengals were up 17-13, faced with third and a yard from the Jaguars 23. They ran it off right guard, and Alex Redmond turned his guy 
to the left and Joe Burrow ran it right off his hip through that big hole all the way to the end zone for a touchdown. That's when I noticed Alex Redmond. It's a good time to notice the right guard. It's a good time to notice any lineman, right? Um, You know, he got called for a hold, um, but okay. uh, You know, he's not the first offensive lineman to get caught for a hold. It wasn't egregious. It didn't look like, and other than that, he gave them stability and, and, I, I hate to do this and you're going to laugh because we all laughed at the Jim Turner comments on Bobby Hart. Part of me thinks that it gave Bobby Hart stability. I mean, Bobby and he played together for 15 games in 2018. They weren't great. They weren't awful. They weren't great. Um, but that was a year Joe Mixon ran for over a thousand yards. Um, you know, they, they did some things as a line and it just made me think, all right, maybe Bobby's got a comfort zone. You know, the, the first touchdown that was called away for Tyler Boyd, I thought Bobby held and I thought, oh, no, it can't be on him because if it's on him. People are going to the 6000 plus are going to lose their mind. People watching on TV. It turned out it was unfortunately on Trey Hopkins. And yeah. I love Trey and I felt for Trey. And it was the right call. It, no, you know, no, absolutely. Yeah. Clearly. But initially, I, I think Bobby held on the play, too. I think yeah, yeah, he lucky did. that was on Trey Hopkins, but didn't notice Bobby much today, did you? And I wonder if maybe for Bobby that gave him a level of comfort and stability. Well, look, first of all, I'd say you played a team without a pass rush and a defense that stinks, and that's probably why you didn't notice Bobby Hart as much because he finally wasn't facing an extreme pass rush on the end. At the same time, look, Bobby Hart stinks, but I've never disagreed with the idea that rotating a a new right guard every game that isn't very good next to him helps him. Like, he probably would like to have a guy who knows what he's doing next to him that would make his job easier. So I definitely agree that stability will make his job not as hard and today that happened. It also happened that it was against the Jaguars. So I think that had as much to do with it as anything. But at the same time, the right side of the offensive line was not a liability day, and it allowed the offense to do its thing. And that's all you're asking with this team. Like, Joe Burrow's shown the ability to make plays. We know Joe Mixon can make plays. They just need a little bit of daylight, just a little bit of room from the offensive line. Today they were able to get that. Yeah, and and let's see it moving forward. And you're right, today was not a challenge. And when Josh Allen got hurt, um, that provided less of a challenge too. So, um, yeah, do this next week in Baltimore, and I'll tip my cap even further. But all I can do is what I saw today against a professional football team, and they were fine. And you didn't notice them, and especially Alex Redman. And the only time you noticed him, he threw a great, great block to spring Joe Burrow. Or spring Joe Mixon, rather. Skinny, the defense has been... Up and down. I mean, you know, one game it's decent. The next game it's completely the issue that costs you the game. And then this game it's decent again. It gives you something. What would you, what would you, aside from the two minute drill at the end of the first half, which we'll talk about in a second, what would be your overall takeaway from the defensive performance? When they needed to be good after halftime, they were not just good, they were great. Um, maybe that's that's Jaguar related. Remember, they had a big play wiped out by a holding penalty, I think, on their first offensive player. They have the Bengals had gone down and scored, took the lead. I think they hit him for a pretty good run by James Robinson, and then it was called back by a hold. They got in a hole, forced a punt, and forced another three out next series. Those were two really good back-to-back series. And and right or wrong, whether that was luck or pluck or whatever you want to call it, maybe it was halftime adjustments. Um Jesse Bates said that they made a nice adjustment at halftime. He wouldn't share with us, which is fine. I'm, I don't need your trade secrets. And a lot of that's BS anyway. Right. Um, I'm not a big believer in halftime adjustments. There's some of that, but there's not a lot of that. There's not as much as people would like. Um, but he said it. And okay, so I'll take you at your word that you made some. And it allowed the Bengals. So they take the possession, score, force a punt, score a touchdown, force a punt, kick a field goal. Suddenly they outscore them 17 to nothing and 13 to 10 deficit turns into 27 to 13 lead because your defense held them twice. They didn't need to hold them for seven series, eight series, 10 series. 
held them twice, turned the game completely around. It's an inconsistent unit. It's still a unit with flaws, but when they had to be really, really good to turn the game around, they were. Well, that's the interesting thing about this defense is they've shown the, and again, it is the Jaguar. So, I mean, you factor all that in. I realize we could just turn this all around in a couple of weeks and say, look, this unit still completely stinks. They're only good when they get a bad team that they're going up against, but to, they've shown the ability at different times to show up and make plays when called upon the offensive line. This was really the, today was the first time that they showed up and made the plays when, when necessary and showed like, Hey, this is a unit that could beat teams. The defense. Now we've seen it at least two or three different times where it's like, this is a unit that could win some games. It's not good. It's still young in certain spots. It's getting old in certain spots and beat up in certain spots. But like when they show up and when things work out enough for them, they're capable of making some plays. You mentioned Jesse Bates. I thought he was great today. He seemed like he was smacking people all over the field. He had a couple pass deflections in there. Uh, He he was a difference maker, I thought, for the defense today. And, And overall, I thought it was a solid unit. But I did talk about the final two minutes there before halftime, which has just become a big joke with this franchise. It's incredible. Back to the Marvin days. They give up points every single game right before the half. And and this this week it was especially difficult because they had deferred. Well, they didn't defer, actually. Um, Jacksonville took the ball when they won the toss. Right. So the Bengals were getting the ball at halftime on the kick, and they still couldn't stop Jacksonville from marching down the field right there at the end of the half. Well, it was funny. I mean, the Bengals are driving for a score at the end of the half. The one that Mixon made that play you talked about for a touchdown, and they're taking timeouts thinking, just give us some time. Give us give us enough time. I mean, honestly, if Jacksonville hadn't had the clock, clock it at the very end of the half just because they had no timeouts left and had a chance to run another player or two, they probably would have scored a touchdown rather oh, yeah. than kick a field goal. They got they was got a kind of a little bit lucky in that regard. Um, it's insane. No one has been able to put a finger on it. We have tried to pin them down of, are you not aggressive enough? Are you too aggressive? Is it just bad luck? Is it a blown coverage, a blown assignment? I mean, that, that drive at the end of the half, you had guys running. LaVisca Chenault was running wide open all over the place, for goodness sakes. Something's going on there where it's a lack of communication. Maybe it's the fact that things are hurried up and you can't get the play call in. And you got a bunch of different guys. And I'm not making excuses, but you got a bunch of different guys that haven't played together. And um, it's great when you can huddle up and talk through it and speak through it and have the time to check through it. It's another thing where it's on the fly and you're trying to communicate and one guy hears one thing, one guy doesn't hear another. The guys are just running too wide open for something to not be taking place from a, from a communication standpoint, but you can't keep doing that. It's cost them a bunch. I think now Rick, um, there've been eight end of halves, right? Two end of halves of four games equals eight teams have scored points on six of those eight drives in the last two minutes of halves. That can't happen. That just cannot happen. happen. Yeah. I mean, just inexcusable. And, that's the thing. I mean, I, I made the joke on uh, Twitter, fire Marvin, because it, you know, it was <laughs> such a Marvin refrain. And now we're into two, so the second year of a new head coach, and it's the exact same refrain. And maybe it's just a team, a, a thing that bad teams do. And, and, and that probably is the case. But it's like, man, even when you win a game, even when you're going against a bad team, that still happens. It's like, how can you never get that under control? It, bad offense, good offense, doesn't matter who you're going against. They score points at the end of the first half. And hopefully we get some answers. I, I, I think tomorrow we usually talk to one of the coordinators on, on Mondays and we try to alternate them. I think this week on Monday, we're going to talk to Lou Anarumo and Lou's usually pretty honest. I, I hope he gives us some decent answers of maybe what he's pinpointed. I'm not looking to give away trade secrets, but there's got to be something to pinpoint. Like I said, 
not looking for excuses, but is it lack of communication? Are you not aggressive enough? Should you maybe blitz more often and just say, you know what, to hell with it. If we get caught on island, we do, but we're going to knock the quarterback backwards and turn them into a eight yard loss and get them in second 18, put them on their heels as opposed to them put on our heels, because it looks like they just look like a mess in those circumstances. Yeah, the old saying is the prevent defense only prevents winning. No, no and doubt. Right now for the Bengals, it kind of seems to be that sort of thing. Yeah, the only thing I will give them credit for is at the end of the game of 33-22, that's where you don't allow a quick score. And they really did make Jacksonville use almost every second of clock. Jacksonville opted to kick the field goal just to give themselves quick points, try to get an onside kick. They would have had a chance for one heave at the end zone. That circumstance, I'm going to give them a pass because that's where you are playing the clock. That's where you are just, they're out of timeouts, corral them, keep them in bounds. Don't give them a quick score and give them any life whatsoever. I'm going to give them a pass for that one. But other than that, it's it's hard to give them a pass for the other five bad halves yeah. or end of halves rather. You mentioned uh, the coaching adjustments and, you know, whether you think that's a big deal or not. One of the things you always do in your post-game columns is give the coaching staff a grade. What type of grade would you give for this game? I think an A-. minus. I thought they did a good job, and I think because of that. I mean, if, if you look um, based on, on what Jesse said, the fact that the defense did it when they needed to, the fact that the Bengals, if you take their last eight possessions, Rick, they scored on six of the eight. The only, th- the only two they didn't score on – was one play where they took a knee at the end of the half, one play where they took a knee at the end of the game. That's pretty good after they had kind of shot themselves in the foot for a chunk of that. Uh, again, I don't care who you give credit to. I think you got to, I think in, in the interest of fairness, whether you don't like this coaching staff or not, what Luana Rumo did coming out of the half and what Zach Taylor and his offensive guys did for that stretch of eight series, you have to give them credit. Yeah, the players executed it, but look, give the, give the coaching staff credit too, in my opinion. Well, one of the things we've talked a lot about, going back to the A.J. Green conversation, is the lack of separation that receivers are getting, and they're not getting open. And I've put part of that on the coaching staff saying, look, like, I see them running routes, and there's no one, no creativity to it. Like, they're not fooling defenses. They're not finding open space to get their guys into and against zones and, and stuff that you see a lot of NFL teams doing. In this game, I would say they're – there were a lot more opportunities where that happened early on. For instance, you saw some creative screen plays like the one they ran for drew sample right. to get him like a 12 yard reception early there. There were just, and again, when you play a team like Jacksonville, everything goes back to, well, maybe it's just because you played a bad <laughs> defense and that's possible. That's certainly possible. But like you mentioned, the, the stats of the way they've scored, the efficiency they've scored with over the last several possessions they've had, that speaks to the type of play calling and the type of creativity they're using. Do you think that's part of Joe Burrow getting more comfortable so they can open up a little bit more of the playbook? I, I think it's a lot of, it depends on, on Joe Mixon running the football. I, I mean, this offense, if you look at, at what really is the Rams crux of the Rams offense, it was Todd Gurley running it, Jared Goff off play action, throwing it and, and play action does so much in this league. I mean, it, it's just so hard to defend good play action teams. I mean, on second and twos or, you know, second and threes and you think a run's coming and linebackers freeze and you see it. I mean, where's the dead spot in the defense a lot of times, right between the the linebackers, right in front of the safeties. It's just such a dead spot in the NFL because teams don't want to get beat deep. Linebackers are looking for the run, all those things. And so when you're running it, guess what starts working? Play action, some bootlegs. Uh, You get anxious, all those things. I think that's what this offense in, in a perfect world is predicated on. But if you don't consistently establish Joe Mixon, you can't do any of that stuff. And they did that today. And I think that's why it worked. 
Well, and that's a good point because I had uh, a friend who texted me and said, hey, I love this college offense the Bengals are running. You know, they've got the the empty set, the five wide. They're going end arounds on different plays. And I mean, they need it, to do that, too. Yeah, I like some of that, too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing the empty set does is it gives the opportunity for Joe Burrow to see the pass rush coming at him. So it's like, OK, the pass rush may get to me, but at least I know where it's coming from when it's empty. There's no like running back that's supposed to pick up a weak side blitz that I don't see. Like, I yeah, know he, where everyone is. Right. And he's talked about that before of, listen, if there's a free blitzer, that's on me. Look, you got five blocking five, a sixth comes. Then I got five on five on, on receivers. Five on five on receivers, somebody's getting open. I mean, no offense in this league. Somebody five on five is getting open. So he likes that. And I think Pat Mahomes has talked about, well, let's be great. I'll see a free runner. And guess what? I'll find the guy who's open. You can do that all, all day to me if you want. If you remember the money night game, I think Mahomes was like 17 to 20 for 250 against the Blitz, for goodness sakes, yeah. which is a crazy number. I think Burrow's going to get to that point. I don't think he's quite there yet because some of it is, if you're trusting AJ Green to get the separation, you think it's him and he's not, you're kind of frozen, right? So yeah. I think the more he sees it, the more he gets with these receivers, the better he's going to be. But I, I like some of that too. But I also like what you talked about. You got Tyler Boyd on an end around. You got T Higgins on an end around. You got Alex Erickson on an end around. If you're running a one back set and your quarterback, really, you don't want to run a lot of design stuff for him. Guess what your secondary run stuff is? It's somebody running some jet sweep stuff. It doesn't have to be 15 times a game. Three or four, suddenly the defense, when this guy see the guy in motion, has to think for a second, is he going to get it or are they going to hand it to the running back? So I like some of that stuff too. Yeah, well, and again, it all goes back to it helps when Joe Mixon is busting them up the yes. middle and softening the middle of that defense. <laughs> that solves everything. Yeah, it really it really does. I mean, you hate to just be repetitive and make, make it down to such an easy game, but sometimes it really is that simple. It's all predicated on the base stuff of like, running the football that all matters so um yeah I think I think it all plays in there but with with Joe Burrow I think you've seen the thing that makes him special or his superpower so to speak is assessing things quickly seeing the defense reading defense scanning and making decisions and seeing the whole field and the empty set allows him that possibility even if he has to be super quick while doing it yeah the one thing I will say is uh, um when he drops back to throw I never feel like he's gonna make a bad decision maybe make a bad throw on occasion Maybe, you know, I, I just don't ever feel like he's making a bad decision. And that's incredible to think of when you're watching a rookie play his fourth game. Um, you know, one to Bruce Sample was not a bad decision. It was just a bad outcome. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's the, he rarely makes that bad decision. He, he oftentimes makes chicken salad out of, you know what? I, I, he's been just unreal to me. And you start adding that in with a running game. Look, this team is not going to win nine of their next 10. So slow everybody's roll for a second because the next couple are going to be extraordinarily difficult. Indy's playing really well. Baltimore this coming week is still a really tough ask on the road. But I just feel better about the direction. And listen, this team needed to win. For everybody to just take the pin and pop the pressure capsule and go, okay, we can win a game. And the fans can go, oh, you can win a game. And yes, it may not be the next two weeks, but I'm going to feel a lot better if they play good the next two weeks, maybe even lose with Cleveland and Tennessee coming in here. Oh, and whatever. I would have just hated to get to that bye week because it would have been 07 and one and it would have been ugly. Yeah, it definitely changes the outlook of everything right now. Just knowing that this coaching staff, this group of players, everyone has a win under their belts. You mentioned the Baltimore game next week. It's best team in, in uh, the division, obviously. And one of the best teams in the entire NFL. Is there any reason for hope? for the Spangles team going into that game. The only, the only thing I can give you is, is this is still a pretty healthy football team. Other, I think you'll get Mackenzie Alexander back. If Geno Atkins isn't back this week, then something is wrong. Something is goofy wrong. And I mean like A.J. Green, Cordy Glenn, goofy wrong. And I'm starting to believe that more and more. 
but he was close enough this week that it felt like he was going to play. Um, so you get me McKenzie Alexander and Geno back, and for the most part, everybody else healthy. That's a nice starting point. I know a lot of players, and it's talk a lot of times, but I, I again, I got to take them at their word for what they say. It's what I have to do as a reporter. I can roll my eyes at it, and I can columnize at it, but I'm going to listen to what they say. They have felt like, listen, we just need to win a game. We need to find a way. To, we feel like we're close. We feel like we're close. And they have been. The one thing is, it's not like they're saying we feel like we're close and they're losing by two touchdowns, right? right. They've been close. So they keep talking about, we just need a win and the dam's going to burst and the bubble's going to pop and we're going to start rolling. Okay, then prove me, prove yourselves right. Go win at Baltimore. You do that, I'm going to sit up and take notice. If not, and as long as it's good and they play well enough, I'm going to just say, listen, Baltimore's just better. I believe that. I still think that even if they probably you know, lose the, or a Baltimore loses to them. Um, but if you're going to tell me that, then, then go do it. Go tell me, go show me how this team can get on a roll. And um, I still think it's an awful big ask. It's an awful off Lamar Jackson. I'm watching him doing twirls and spins and whatever he wants to do against this defense. Yeah. I, I don't see them winning that game, but I do think it says something about this team. If they are able to go there and just be competitive, if they're right. in that game and it's a close game at the end, I would look at that one and say, this team's definitely moving in the right direction as opposed How do you to actually feel good about going to Indy. Yeah, exactly. And, and you would feel different than, okay, they got a team that's tanking in Jacksonville. They got one win and that might be their only win in the near future. You know, I mean, it's just a different feeling. So uh, I think that Baltimore game will be telling. It'll be interesting. I'm not yes. necessarily expecting a win, but where, what direction is this team moving in? Are they making progress? I think it'll tell us that. And the thing is, Rick, talk about big measuring sticks. Listen, the Chargers aren't very good. I, I think they're better than what they've shown, but they're playing a rookie quarterback now, and they're going through growing pains. Cleveland um, is maybe a little better than what some thought. I thought they'd be pretty good. I wasn't trying to expect them to go to Dallas and win today. Um, Philly goes on the road tonight and wins at Frisco. I mean, suddenly you look and go, well, those first three games weren't very good teams, and Jackson's not very well. Maybe they're not as bad as you think, and maybe those first this first four games are about what they should have been. If I'd ask you, they come out of this two, two, two and two, you'd have taken it, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean you'd be within, surprised by that, honestly. Within a crazy last drive by Philly of doing that. So, I mean, they're probably in theory where you thought they'd be or where they you thought they should be. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're too far off. And that's why I think this Baltimore game, well, again, I don't necessarily it's the per, it's the I think it's a perfect measuring it's stick. It's a measuring perfect. stick. Yeah, it kind of tells you like, are they legitimate? Are, are they legitimately competitive with decent teams or, or good teams in this case, or are they really just kind of showing against bad teams right now, early on in the season and they're yep. still a long way off. So we will certainly see that in the weeks to come. By the way, I got one final thing for you. I, I was trying to, I was surprised my, my Twitter didn't blow up. I was waiting for it to when Randy Bullock made his second field goal today, he became the Bengals all time field goal percentage leader. He then made two more. So he now is, uh, is, is well entrenched in first place. And I got to admit as much as crap as he's taken, it is what it is. He's the all time franchise leader in field goal accuracy, 88.06%. You know, I'm really shocked that there just wasn't an outpouring on Twitter in support for Randy Bullock. Not and, support. And I was just waiting. Shut up, idiot. Shut up. He sucks. You were waiting for Shane Graham fans to come out of the woodwork. Like, hey, I, don't I besmirch our good leader. I was for sure. But uh, shout out to Randy. I mean, you know what? It's amazing when you make kicks, you don't cramp. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. His calves have been good ever since that missed kick. <laughs> you really have, for sure. Right, any final thoughts, my man? That's it. That's all I got. All right, that's all I got, too. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it very much. For Rick Broing, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals post-game edition.